Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. I'm going to put this here. I, um, I don't know what I did, but I tweaked my back, and I'm in some sense of pain. Um, I took some Advil, and it's a very rare thing that I actually take any sort of pain medication because I'm a man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm very fortunate not to be in pain very often, but um, this morning is an exception to that. So even taking a step up here was kind of like, oh yeah. So I was almost getting in the habit to put my water bottle down, and I thought that would have been a bad move. You would have seen uh, per- perhaps me tumble over. And so, but as long as I'm standing and walking, I'm fine for the most part, for the most part. So anyways, but you didn't hear, you didn't want to come and hear about my, my ails and torments and all that kind of stuff. You came to hear about Jesus and this morning is no exception. We are in a new series this morning that we began last Sunday as we are journeying now for the remainder, for the bulk of this year in the book of Psalms. And um, I, I, I hope some of you or many of you, if not all of you, took a reading plan and, and hopefully you're kind of journeying through the book of Psalms, hopefully on a daily basis, um, if not at least weekly, um, because it is a beautiful book for us to kind of dive into and as I shared last week, I just, by way of reminder, want to share with us again this week. Remember, the book of Psalms is a book that's made to be taught. It's made to be recited, as we did earlier in the service, by reciting Psalm 40. It, it is a prayer book. It is a book by which we can cry out to God. It is a book by which we can learn and see how is it that we should love God? How is it that we, as, as his followers, can fulfill that beautiful first commandment? And so the book of Psalms is such a beautiful way for us to be able to look at how is it that we can love God. And in many ways, this book not only mirrors our relationship with God, but also as a result can serve as our guide in how we ought to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, warts and all. That last part is my edition. That's the Dan Acker edition. So um, I love how one author frames the book of Psalms. She writes the following, the Psalms enable us to bring into our conversation with God feelings and thoughts most of us think we need to get rid of before God will be interested in hearing from us. Let me me say that again. Let me say that again. The Psalms enable us to bring us into into our conversation with God feelings and thoughts most of us think we need to get rid of before God will be interested in hearing from us. I don't know about you, but I have fallen into that trap at times that I think as I approach God in prayer that I need to be perfect, that I need to make sure I watch my language. I need to make sure I watch my thoughts. I need to make sure I'm careful with how I engage with God. And some of that is true, right? We're talking with God here, right? But at the same time, the things that I think I should not share with God, it's as though I'm not hiding that from him, honestly, right? It's not as though that God is like, oh, Are you hiding something from me, and what is it? Because I don't know what it is that you're saying. He already knows what my thoughts are. In fact, he knows them better than I know them. He knows me better than I know myself. And so the reality is, is I hope that as we journey through this book this year in Psalms, is that we will be able to be freed from the idea that we need to impress God with our prayers. That we need to impress God with what we say. God is not impressed. This is the same God 
that created William Shakespeare. Trust me, he's probably not impressed with him either. Okay? He is not impressed. That is not why we do this, brothers and sisters. That is not why we pray. That is not why we come and worship. It is not to sit here today and walk out saying, Oh, I hope I made you happy, Jesus. I hope I impressed you with my singing. I hope I impressed you with my listening. I hope I impressed you with my prayers because I hit it on the nail today. Right? As a preacher, as a preacher, one of the most frustrating things is the fact that I can step off of this podium. Today I will do so lightly, but nonetheless, carefully. But nonetheless, to step off of this platform and to think, oh, I nailed it today. Man, I had it down. I had my points there. I really brought it. Randall never heckled me once at all during the sermon. I was good to go. It was fantastic. And then all of a sudden now, you all aren't impressed. I brought you steak. And you all were happy with cereal. Right? And here's the thing. I can at times also step off this platform and I've been you know, you've all have made fun of me, and I'm, you know, all this kind of stuff, and I'm just tongue-in-cheek on this stuff, but nonetheless, that I, I really messed up, and those are the sermons that oftentimes people come to me and say, that was some of the best stuff you've said. God is not impressed. God is not impressed either way, and here's the rea reality, is that as we work through this book, as we work through the Psalms, I hope that we can begin to drop the facade. To drop the posing. To drop the things that we think we need to do or be or say to impress God or to get God to listen to us. I hope we will be able to drop all of that and be able to come to Jesus Christ, warts and all, and Jesus in Instead of saying, whoa, hey, wait a minute, hey, little too much here. Instead, what we will be pleased to hear is, huh, I'm so glad you're here with me today. I've been wanting to spend some time with you. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you. I've been wanting to hear from you. Because that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. I'm reminded of the Ark of the Covenant, right? By the way, how many of you saw the Raiders of the, Ra Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent movie, right? All about how the, the, the Nazis wanted the Ark of the Covenant because like the Jewish people, if they had the Ark of the Covenant, they could take it into battle and they would win, right? And, and, and the last scene is a really, really awful, like scary scene. Like when I remember seeing that scene, was, it, it freaked me out, right? Is that when they open the Ark and all of those beautiful angelic beings are floating around and then all of a sudden they reveal who they really are, they're not angelic in any way. It is now judgment. And they decimate all of the soldiers in that area who were looking at the ark, right? And, and, and maybe that's true. But here's the thing about the Ark of the Covenant. We need to remember this, y'all. The Ark of the Covenant, the, the seat, the top of the ark that is encased between the two cherubim, between the two angels, that is known as the what kind of seat? The mercy seat. It is not the judgment seat. In other words, God desires to extend to us his mercy. When we approach God, we need to have an understanding here 
that God's bent towards us is that of mercy, not of judgment. That will come. I think sometimes we as Christians, we want that judgment real quick, right? And not against us, against those we think deserve it, (laughs) right? And I want to remind you all, those who get judged first are not those who do not know Jesus. Those who get judged first are those who do. We're the first in line. Just just a reminder. So be careful the next time that you want to hasten God's judgment. Just be careful. But nonetheless, remember this. God's mercy seat, that is at the top of the ark. That's his seat. It's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of mercy. That's what he desires to show us. That is his posture towards us. We need to remember this. With that in mind, with all of this in mind, What we're going to look at today is another psalm, Psalm 40. We read it in a responsive reading. We prayed it this morning. We're going to dive into it a little bit more as well this morning. And my hope is, is that as we do, we will see some of these aspects of what I've just shared with you. And is this idea that David was just being honest, that David was, his posture towards God was just absolutely one of honesty, absolutely one of just being real before God himself. And this morning, as we look at this psalm, my hope is, is that we might be able to relate in some way, maybe take comfort in some way over what David did and how he prayed, and maybe that might give us some comfort when we too pray. That's my hope. Now, as we look at this psalm, there's a few things that my hope that we will see here um, in this psalm will come out. Because I think there are three specific things David shares in this psalm about God and his relationship with him, okay? Out of all of this series, the one thing I want us to remember most of all is this is a reflection of of relationship. Yes, David is making also a theological observation. That's, That's very important to realize. And he is also giving us insight into his relationship with God the Father. And my hope is, as we look at the Psalms, including today, we never forget and don't simply ask the question, okay, Dan, what's the theological point of this Psalm this morning? There is a theological point, don't get me wrong. But more in addition, okay, in addition, I hope we are also asking, what does this say about David's relationship with God? What does this look like? What is he saying? And, and, is it, 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 maybe in some ways I can relate to that kind of relationship as well, or I can be able to be comfortable with having that kind of relationship with God as well, because as we're going to see as we journey through the book of Psalms, not only did David have a messy relationship with God, almost everyone in here who wrote a psalm or had penned something here in this book had a relationship that was not perfect, okay? So that's my hope. There are three things, though, that David shares. David shares in this psalm, and we're going to discover these three things this morning. The first is this, diving right in, in Psalm 40. God answers my prayers. God answers my prayers. Looking at this psalm, listen to what David writes. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Did you catch that very first line? I waited what? Patiently. I waited patiently, and the Lord turned, and he heard my cry. In other words, he is 
praying to God, hoping that God will hear him. But here is the thing about prayer, in case you don't already know it. Often, God doesn't respond when we want him to respond. God, I need an answer. I am doing this for you, Jesus. Why won't you answer me? And oftentimes, we want that answer right away. We want that clarity of what God wants us to do right away. Amen? Who doesn't want that? When I, when I pray to some, when I pray to God or when I talk with someone and I ask them a question or ask a desire, I want an answer. I want an answer. Here is the thing that David gives us an insight into. Guess what? His prayers didn't get answered right away. King David, a man whom God said who was after his own heart, even his prayers didn't get answered right away. He had to wait. He had to wait. How many of you are still waiting for God to answer your prayers? Hardly any of you raise your hand. You've got to be praying, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. If you, have, if you are still waiting for God to answer your prayers, you're in good company. So did David. In other words, let us not think that these men and women in the scriptures were any more righteous, holy, or loved by God more so than you and I. They experienced the exact same dynamics as you and I are experiencing today. For those of us who wish, man, I just wish in those biblical, that I was living in those biblical times and this stuff would happen this way, be careful, it did not always happen the way you think it did. Patience, waiting, it is a normal part of prayer. And there may be a variety of reasons why God doesn't get back to us. There may be a variety of reasons why he may not respond to us right away. And we may not always know those reasons. And you know what? That's okay. We, may, we don't have to know all the time. There may be times we might know. And sometimes scripture gives us some reasons as to why prayers may take a long time for God to respond to. I'm reminded of a passage in Daniel chapter 10. It's interesting. Daniel prays and he doesn't hear anything. But listen to what Daniel then happens here when an angel finally comes in verse 12 of chapter 10. It says this, the angel speaking. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. God heard your prayers. You were heard. And I have come in response to them. But... The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns me a time yet to come. In other words, what we see here is a little bit behind the curtain that here was this angel having to respond to Daniel's prayer, but got delayed by three weeks. By three weeks before he could get back to Daniel. And it was only after Michael came to help him that all of a sudden he was able to go and respond to Daniel's prayer request. Now, some of our freak meters might be going off. I get that. Because now we're talking about a realm that we don't always see. We may not always recognize. We may not even want to acknowledge. But it is there. 
That is this spiritual realm in which there is an enemy that is very much set against making sure we do not love Jesus. We do not come to him, that we do not have a relationship with him, that we do not in any way follow him. There is an enemy who has his incomplete self all of his being set against you and I and against every other person out there in this world to make sure that, guess what? They are never to know this Jesus. And if we know this Jesus, to at times make that knowing, make that following, make that life with Jesus as difficult, as frustrating as possible. Some of you might know what I'm talking about. Some of you might know that after you have come to know Jesus, it wasn't rainbows and unicorns and all of that kind of fun stuff. And in fact, in some ways, maybe your life got a little tougher because you are, start, you are starting to follow Jesus. It happens. It happens because now you have an enemy. You have a savior, but you also now have an enemy. And guess what? That enemy is going to do everything he can to trip us up. Everything. Everything. Even to the point of trying to even get us not to pray. Even to the point of getting us not to pray. I read a quote, and I'm going to murder this quote. But I'm going to try to attempt to share it anyways. And if it goes bad, I'm just going to move on, and we will forget about it. You will forget about it easily. But it says this, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here. Satan essentially smiles when Christians shun one another. Laughs when Christians, uh, uh, not, not only shun one another, but when Christians uh, fail to worship God. And he shouts for joy when Christians don't pray. We have an enemy. And perhaps one of the reasons why our prayers are not answered right away is because that enemy is doing his thing and just tripping, doing his best to delay, to try to figure out ways to trip us up. That is a real possibility. There may be other reasons why we don't hear from God. Maybe it's because of the fact we're not ready for the answer. Very real possibility. Or he has responded, and guess what? We didn't hear him. We didn't hear him. It's interesting, E.M. Bounds, who in my opinion is one of the most prolific writers on prayer. Um, as I've said before, I encourage you all, read stuff by people who have died. Read stuff by people who have written stuff long ago because it is rich. And E.M. Bounds is one of these one of these individuals who has written extensively on prayer, and he said this about Christians and when it comes to prayer and waiting. He said this, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. They just drop down and say a few words and then jump up and forget it and expect God to answer them. Such praying always reminds me of the small boy ringing his neighbor's doorbell and then running away as fast as he can go. We called that ding-dong ditch right? Man, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. That has been me at times. That has been me at times. And so when David starts out here in this very, very, very first verse here, 
And he said, I waited patiently. He waited for the Lord. And guess what? The Lord turned to me and heard my cry. He answered. He answered. And not only that, here's how he answered it. Verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Ooh, that is descriptive. That is descriptive. Let me give you an idea in the Hebrew of that word, the slimy pit. Essentially, that, that it's kind of the slimy is kind of the destruction and wasteland. That pit is the world of the dead. I mean, he was in a pit. Now, by the way, we don't exactly know what David prayed for. We don't exactly know what was happening in David's life, but we know it was not good, okay? But nonetheless, here is God. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. By the way, last week I shared with you one aspect of Hebrew poetry, and that was repetition. Here's the second aspect of Hebrew poetry. It's parallelism. Saying the same thing different ways. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch it here? He says this. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Slimy pit, mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. Got it? He gave me a firm place to stand. Rock, firm place. I mean, that is parallelism right there. Saying the same thing different ways. How did God do that? I don't know. We don't know how, how God reached down and pulled David out of this pit he was in and put him on solid ground. We don't know. But David knows, and that's all that matters, and he writes about it. And then he goes on and says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Man, he comes out and says, God answered my prayers. Let me share with you today. I believe that is still true. I believe God is and will answer our prayers. But there is one thing I think we need to realize, and that is this. We need to wait patiently. We need to wait patiently. That's what we need to do. And that is incredibly hard, isn't it? Because we think that if we don't act, it will pass us by. That if we, that if we don't act, all of a sudden now I'm going to miss my opportunity. <laughs> I didn't plan on saying this, but I want to say this. I was having lunch with a good friend and a member of this church last week, and this friend shared with me about how he was at a conference and all of a sudden how he got caught up in a conversation and with a guy and then was asked if he could take him to the airport and he was like missing out on wanting to talk to this speaker and then after waiting there for a while for this guy to finish up whatever conversations he has so he could drive him to the airport the guy says oh i got another ride to the airport you don't need to take me anymore goes to the cafeteria cleared out lunch is done so he goes and grabs his lunch and sits down at the table Missed his opportunity. Lo and behold, the speaker comes in because he eats when everyone else is gone as well. He sits down. And he got to have a conversation. Probably wouldn't have happened had he been on that rushed out. He waited. He paid off. Got an answer. He got answers to many of his questions. It's a beautiful thing. Many ways with God. Sometimes we have to realize that, yeah, we might be missing something, but we might not. We might be missing something immediately, but we might be something greater down the road. 
We just don't know. But here's what it is. We need to wait patiently. Here's the other thing that David shares with us about this. He said, because God answers my prayers, I'm going to tell everyone. I will tell everyone. I will tell everyone. Listen to what verse 5 here in Psalm 40 says. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Man. I mean, David is just over the moon, happy. Could not believe it. God answered my prayers, and guess what? I'm going to tell everyone who you are. I'm going to tell everyone that you do this. I'm going to tell everyone how great you truly are. You are God. And by the way, I'm going to tell not just this example. I'm going to tell all the things that you have done. Oh, and by the way, if I were to do that, we're going to be here for a while. Because there's just too many to declare. He can't help but say, I've got to tell everyone that God answered my prayer. This is what God has done in my life. This is what he is doing. Have you ever been in a, a position where you were so excited to share with another person, God answered my prayer? And you couldn't help but go and share that with people around you and say, guess what? God did this. I prayed this and he answered my prayer. This is unbelievable. He is awesome. I also think, though, that in addition to just answering his prayer, I think there was also a realization that Daniel came, or David came to about who God is and about what he expects. And he says this in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. <clears throat> but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. What I love about that verse is the fact that David realizes I don't have to impress God. I don't even have to manipulate God to get him to answer my prayers. He did it because he loves me. He did it because he's God and he wanted to hear from me. I think sometimes we might fall into a trap in which we think that we need to kind of manipulate God to get what we want from him. So we make a deal. We bargain with him. <clears throat> God, if I attend church every week, then will you make sure I get to keep my job? Will you make sure that I don't get sick? God, if I promise you that I will cook dinner for my family three times a week, will you make sure then that I will have a happy home life and everything else? We make bargains with God, don't we, at times, if we're really honest. God, if I, do, if I give you money, will you make sure that I have blessings upon blessings and that I will become a millionaire or at least financially secure? Right? Oftentimes, there are, and I, I, I've done it, that we make these deals, these bartering ideas with God, thinking that if I do this, God, will you do that? God, then we have an agreement. Guess what, y'all? That is not the way God works. 
And by the way, doing that in many ways, whether we realize it or not, leads us into paganism. You know what paganism is? We say it's worshiping false gods. Yes, it's worshiping false gods. That's right. But more than that, it's manipulating those gods to get them to do what we want them to do. God doesn't play that game. Here all this time, David might have believed, you know, if I give God, and he did it out of obedience, he did it out because that's what it was commanded, he did it because he loves him, no doubt about that, but I wouldn't be surprised at some point if he was doing these offerings and these sacrifices because in some ways, God, I offered you this, therefore give me that. God, I, I honored what you, you know, I, I did this, now I expect you to do that. And what David realized in this moment is, guess what? That's not what you desire. You don't want any of that. You don't want any of that. And then verse 7, he says this, Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. I mean, that is unbelievable. I mean, all of a sudden now he figures out, hey, guess what? I am here. All I want to do is your will. Your law is in my heart. That's all I want to do. And by the way, all I want to do in addition to just doing your will is I want to tell everyone who you truly are, that you are God that you are king of kings and lord of lords, that you are the one above any other God. And by the way, God, you will never be manipulated. You will never be controlled by me or any other human being. All you desire from me and every single person here is our hearts and our love and our obedience to you. Period. That's it. And David ends... In verse 12, and says this, For troubles without number surround me, and my sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. And this leads to the third observation. And it's this. So, I will keep praying. Not only has God answered my prayers, and I'm going to tell everyone that he did, but I'm also going to keep praying because he'll keep answering. And then all of a sudden now, we get an insight into the fact that, guess what? He's in trouble again. He's in trouble again. He's in need of rescuing once more. And he says this in verse 13, Be, play, be pleased, rather, to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in grace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. You know what's so interesting about this psalm? Is it doesn't follow a normal arc of what we might think is a positive arc of either preaching or of worship. 
it starts out praising. It goes that way, right? So you start out at the mountaintop, and then all of a sudden you go into the valley. And it ends in the valley. That's not good. That's not how, it's not buttoned up. There is no bow to put on this psalm. And in fact, so much so, it, ends, it starts with praise and ends with a lament. So much so is this lament so you know, prominent here that in many ways, many theologians believe that this psalm, in essence, is a lament. Because it ends in a sad way. It doesn't always end in happily ever after. That's sometimes how life is. That's sometimes how our relationship with God can be at times, not forever. David ends this psalm with a lament. God, I'm in trouble again. Come and help me. I'm in the pit again. Come and save me. I am here once again. Please put me on solid ground. And we don't know when God answered that prayer. We don't know how it worked out for David in this case. We just don't know. There is no bow I can put on this. And you know what? I'm grateful. Because sometimes that's life. Some of us here this morning are still waiting, aren't we? We're stuck. We're in a pit. Maybe by our own doing or someone else's doing, but we're in a pit. And we need help. And we've been praying, and we haven't heard an answer yet. And we're still waiting. I titled this sermon this morning, I Will Not Keep Silent. The reason why I titled it that way is because I think in this psalm, perhaps more than anything else, is this. I will not keep silent. I will praise and I will pray. I will praise and I will pray. I will praise God for all that he has done and all that he is doing. And I will continue to pray and I may not get the answers right away. And if I don't, I'm going to still continue to pray. And I'm still going to continue to praise. I will not keep silent. I will not keep silent. I will continue to praise and to pray. And maybe this morning, that's what we need to do. Let us not keep silent. Do not give God the silent treatment. Don't stop praying to him. Don't stop talking with him. He wants to hear from you. He is eager to hear from you. And even if you haven't gotten a response right away, don't stop praying. Ever. Don't stop. And secondly, don't stop praising. And by the way, don't do those two things to manipulate God to try to get him to respond to you. Do it because he's God. And he loves you. Those of you who are here today, 
who might find yourself in a tough position, who might find yourself still waiting for an answer from the Lord, I cannot guarantee that today you're going to hear from him. Oh, I wish I could say it. I'd be the most loved pastor in this room. You're going to hear from God today. He is going to give you the answer you've longed to hear all along. That'd be a lie. But here's what I can offer. I can pray with you. I can pray with you. And not only me, but the other pastors and elders and those on our prayer team. We can pray with you. We can join you in prayer. We can come along and walk alongside you during this journey, and we can pray with you as well. And that's what I want to offer you this morning. I can't say that God will respond this morning to you, and maybe we cannot put a bow on that request today, but at least we can join together in not being silent, but in praying. I didn't plan on this, um, but I'm going to do it anyways because I'm the pastor or one of them. But we're going to sing a song here. And as we are, I'm going to invite our elders to come up and our prayer team and our pastors. There's quite a few of us because you know what? That's a good thing. We want to pray with you. If you are here today, and you haven't yet got a response to prayer, and you've been praying, if you're here today and you are stuck in the mire and the clay, you're in the pit, and you need God to rescue you, but you haven't yet heard from him, I want to invite you to come up to any one of us here during the singing of this last song, and let us pray with you. Let us at least do that. Let us join with you, and if anything else may you at least realize that not only is God hearing your prayers, but you are not alone. You are not alone. So let me pray for us now. We'll sing as we're singing. If you want to come up, please do so. We'll be here. Father, I pray for every single one of us, Jesus, this morning. I pray for the fact that you know better than Certainly I do and anyone else up here and people we're sitting next to what we are going through. Maybe today is not the best day, Jesus, and you know that for many of us here. Maybe we are struggling, Jesus, and you know that. Maybe we have prayed to you and have prayed and prayed and prayed, and Jesus, you may not have yet given us an answer. You may have not yet showed us or told us what it is that we may need to do. Father, I pray this morning for comfort and peace to rest on every single person here. That they would know, Jesus, that you have heard their prayers. That you are with them right now. And that, Jesus, you will do great things. Because you're God. And we are your followers. And you love us. I am grateful, Jesus. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for every single person here this morning. 
Minister to us now, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.